Can I tell you, uh, I've gotten more text messages about our the player uh, conversation than I have about uh, a lot of other conversations in the past. For some reason, people really liked that one, or were like, oh. and were excited that we talked about the player. I really didn't think anyone uh, gave a shit about that <laughs> movie, <laughs> other than like other than like film people. But I think it's it's it is funny because I kind of when we were doing it, I was like, oh right, it's the player's thirtieth anniversary. I bet this is gonna be a huge deal, you know? And I didn't really see anything about it early other than our Do you remember what I said what you said to me when I was like, It's deep covers thirtieth anniversary. We should try to land we should try to like get it on time. What did you say? What did you, do you remember what you said? I said we don't want to miss the big deep cover thirtieth anniversary wave. Yeah. Your sarcasm. Well, yeah, you should you should say it in the tone that your text was meant to to be delivered. Ricky, I, you know, as the person who wrote the text, I think I I know what tone it was, it was delivered in. It, it was pretty obvious. The tone was, oh yeah, Ricky, we don't want to miss the big wave of the 30th anniversary of Deep Cover. Oh, that's your that might be true. That might be true. But yeah. now that you have seen Deep Cover. You get it. The great thing about life on the street is you know how it's going to be. It's always the same. It's always getting worse. Hasta la vista! On these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not 10 kilos we want, we want 20. Listen, you're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know, John. Where are you moving this stuff? He's gonna get you busted. No, he won't. On these streets, nothing's what it seems to be. Is that our bust? Yeah. Well, who is he? Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal. If he wasn't the perfect cop. Did you ever take a look at your psychological profile? You score almost exactly like a criminal. I'm looking for somebody who will go under and stay under. What does he have to do? Buy drugs? Sell drugs? Set up the people that I want to bust. Because there's only one rule in this game, John. Don't blow your cover. Do what you want, but don't try to sit down while I... On that note, welcome to 30 Years Later... I'm one of your hosts, Ricky Camilleri. Hi, and my name is Chris Chafin. Hi, I'm one of the Chris other Chafin hosts. Chris Chafin is here, one of the other hosts, and uh, you might be disappointed because frequently we have a guest. Today we don't. Hopefully you are one of the uh, tens, tens if not twenties of uh, listeners who uh, actually enjoy uh, when it's just the two of us. And when I say tens of twenties of listeners, I don't mean those are just the tens of twenties of hundreds and thousands of listeners. I mean, out of the tens of twenties of listeners, you are one of the few that enjoy when it's just us. Just, just going to absolutely tortured links to insult yourself, you know? <laughs> so uh, welcome to 30 years later. As Ricky said, it's just, just us guys. It's so Wait, are you just cutting my introduction now because it was so bad? No, I'm just getting us back on track. I'm just trying to fucking take the on-ramp back to the freeway. You know, as you might have heard, if any of what we were just talking about makes it in the beginning of the episode, we are talking <laughs> this week about 1992's Deep cover which was released april 15th 1992 it was written or story by michael tolkien which we i'm saying first because last episode we discussed the player which was very much written by michael tolkien and based off his novel but i think the screenplay 
for the movie was actually written by Henry Bean. It starred Larry Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and it was directed by the god Bill Duke. Uh, shot by uh, legendary cinematographer Bojan Bezeli, who uh, his films we've discussed are King of New York, uh, amongst others. He shot a number of great uh, B action pictures like King of New York, Deep Cover, Surviving the Game, uh, and has gone on to shoot pretty pretty big films at this point. He's pretty incredible. Um, and this movie is a incredibly subversive, smart '90s noir. Uh, that um, yes, it's in the Criterion Collection, which would make you think it's getting a lot the love that it deserves, but uh, it really deserves to be held up as a classic of of '90s cinema, in my opinion. Um, in it, Lawrence Fishburne plays a rookie cop who gets uh hooked into working undercover for the DEA. Uh, after like. As he works undercover, he becomes uh, to get closer to the people who are trafficking in drugs. He starts selling drugs. He starts trafficking drugs. And then it turns out the DEA is just sort of moving with the wind of the State Department and who they do or do not want to have moved drugs into the United States. Therefore, Lawrence Fishburne has been selling drugs to his own people for no moral reason whatsoever because the United States is immoral corrupt and disgusting uh all the way up to the top uh and it's largely hey, 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 Ricky, it's, hey. largely its motive uh is profit at all costs it's a business and if you try to uh impose any kind of morality onto that business you are it is a fool's errand as they say we'll get into more details about what the movie is about i own the criterion uh disc oh, i dear. love this film Chris, you had never seen this movie before. We 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 started talking about it a little bit, but what uh what first take, first take, what would you what did you think? Well, right. So really I really went into this pretty cold, not knowing a single thing about it. Um so I mean I'm knowing roughly kind of what it was about, but but not not too many details. Um I gotta say from the first like twenty minutes, I maybe thought it was gonna be a lot more of a like stylized movie because of um, the opening credits. Okay, it's, it's slow motion of somebody smoking a crack pipe. And then it cuts to like, what is it? It's like 1972 in Cincinnati, maybe? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. So. And it's Christmas time. Cleveland. There's all this Cle Christmas Cleveland. music playing. Cleveland. And there's this great scene between a dad and a son in the car where the dad is sniffing Coke. And then he looks at the son and he goes, what? Don't ever do this. And the kid goes, okay. And the dad's like, what do you mean, okay, goddammit? And starts hitting him with his hat. And he's like, I tell you, don't do this shit. You don't do this shit, goddammit. Don't do this. Don't be like me. And then he starts sniffing more Coke. And, you know, and then he gets out to go rob a liquor store. Wait, my favorite, my favorite part of that scene is when the kid starts crying. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. He's going, literally, he's going like, daddy, no, daddy. Yeah, the, the kid starts crying and the dad, like, kind of calms him down for a minute and then goes, you okay? You okay? And then starts mocking him. He goes, you okay? You okay? Ooh, 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 daddy. Okay, you're okay. And then he gets out of the car. <laughs> I love that bit so much. Oh my God. So the first scene, yes, is like a great, it's it's this great scene. You're not expecting it to be is like, not just like sort of uh, action, 90s action film violent, which it is, but also just sort of emotionally violent, the way that the father is interacting with the kid. But then and smart, it's it's smart also, and it seems genuine in a certain way. Cut to the next scene, where a a pencil neck fucking dork white guy 
is interviewing black cops with his leading question be what's the difference between a black man and an n-word where like where did you feel like you were at I that had point no like idea. Wh- i had no idea and i didn't really know i you know i i just forgot in that instance that like lawrence fishburne is the star of the movie so the first guy that they showed i was like oh that's the grown-up version of this kid but it wasn't. They they go through like four guys where he's asking them all this question and they all react differently in a way until we get to Lawrence Fishburne um, looking like a million dollars, I have to say. They have him looking like very skinny. Like he looks like he's sucking his cheeks in through all these scenes where he's supposed to be like the young, eager cop. That's true. He does look very thin in that scene. Right. It's like part of his journey, his physicality changes over from being this like straight arrow young guy to being like a big fat old rich drug dealer, you know? Um, but yeah, but then Larry, Larry Fishburne, you know, he, one guy punches him in the stomach. Another guy just laughs and says, I don't know. What is the difference? And Larry says like, only the N word would think about answering that question. And on the basis of that, he is tapped to go into the, you know, the craziest, most long-term deep cover DEA assignment of all time. Let, let's talk about like what makes this movie different or like, because once right. the undercover operation starts, you can kind of track it in one way on the surface. It's like Donnie as, like, Brasco, you're fairly the Departed, like, yeah, you're fairly standard, like, you know, guy goes too deep undercover gets lost in his role, uh, has to come back and can't come back or something like that. But where this movie kind of throws a curveball is that it turns out that the DEA is actually working with the state. The State Department is working with some of these uh, cocaine traffickers. So there's this whole, and he's even referenced in the, in the movie, there's this whole Noriega plot to it. And this quote unquote, what we call a conspiracy theory that the government was actually bringing crack into the communities right. uh, uh, of this country, which Lawrence Fishburne is actually the the guy bringing crack <laughs> into these communities. And he says explicitly, like I'm selling this stuff to my own people. Yeah. A part of the movie that I really love, which maybe I should say for favorite part, but I think is uh, just illustrative of this, how this movie is different is that when Lawrence Fishburne is feeling has just killed a guy a fellow drug dealer because he's in so deep and he's feeling guilty about it and he tells his dea um the dea agent that is basically like is his uh yeah yeah like handler the handler says to him have you ever seen a crack baby god and he goes through the propaganda of a of what crack does to a child which was like the it's just so incredible. It's such an amazing scene because it's the propaganda that was used to sell white people the lie that like, you know, crack is worse crack than heads, cocaine. Crack is worse than cocaine. Crackheads are worse than coke addicts. So yeah. we need to charge them with stronger things, but he's using it. He's using this propaganda to keep a black man selling crack cocaine in a black community but it's just incredible the way that the film plays with what we now reflect on as stereotypes and means to oppress versus what the actual on the ground reality was at that time it's well first of all i mean i do agree that the 
movies like surprisingly politically sophisticated which even at the time people thought but like just that scene about crack babies yeah he goes through this whole thing about how they're like they can't learn developmentally they're behind it's like a whole lost generation they're violent so they have to be arrested and And like just for the record this was turned out to not at all be true like this is something mainstream people thought in the 80s and 90s and said all the time and after this scene the, the narration from larry fishburne which is kind of like the emotional heart of the movie goes he was right. That was why I was doing it, <laughs> you know? But it's like, yeah, no, that... But he's wrong. It, he, he was wrong. It's a lies. It's all lies. That None of that was true. Like, just because your mother smoked yeah. crack doesn't mean you're, like, going to be a zombie for the rest of your life, you know? But that's what I think... I I, I mean, I think the movie knew. No, I think yeah, the writers yeah. of the movie knew. Well, I don't know. It's questionable. I think it's questionable whether it's, like, dramatic irony or not or whatever that when he says that that was the reason he was doing it. I think you're supposed to think that this guy is a the DEA agent is a scumbag and he's disingenuous, but Lawrence Fishburne, like he is like, yes, drugs are victimizing my community and they're harming people. And I'm trying to stop that, you know, whether they knew it or not, they're putting the, the, the words of propaganda right. into the mouths of who is going to be a liar. And it's interesting because like you said, it's like he's justifying fighting the drug trade by having this guy be a drug dealer for seemingly a decade or more, you know? So it's like, what, what are you doing? How are you achieving the thing you're supposedly working towards? And I think the movie is very sophisticated. Like you were saying at showing the, like right from the beginning, when Lawrence Fishburne first gets recruited by the DEA, he's showing him this pyramid of like where the drugs are coming from. And they have the guy at the top and he's like, well, let's go after that guy. And he's like, well, no, 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 we can't go after that guy. He's like kind of protected, but we can go after like these other people. And Lawrence Fishburne's like, yeah, but if they're coming from him, let's just go after him. And he's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. One thing at a time, one thing at a time. And I was like, this is actually great. <laughs> like from literally his first briefing, they're like, yeah, we're not really actually doing anything except like kind like he's like they say in the me- in that meeting, um, maybe it would hurt his political career. <laughs> you know, like, I think he, he even says in that first meeting, because uh, I clocked it this time because I, I, I had remembered it being as a twist in the end, but in even in the first meeting, he's like, and if we can do that, we can make some friends in the state department, which ends up becoming the punchline where he's kind of like, look, I know we didn't do anything. I know that you sold drugs, but look, I'm going to get to go to the state department. I'm going to get a budget. Just come with me. We'll have cooler jobs. Just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think he says, we'll just do it. I think you're right. I think he says, maybe we'll just do whatever. And Lawrence Fishburne has just killed like a bunch of people and sold drugs for a couple of years. And he's like, he's so broken. And then the guy, the DEA agent, the white, he goes, none of it matters. Yeah, like, none of it matters. Like, none of it makes any difference at all. Let's just, it's all fucked up. Like, let's just take what we can get. He's like intensely cynical. He's just like totally nihilistic. And it's just like, none of it matters. What are you getting all upset about? I got a job now. There's a budget. You can come work for me in DC. It'll be fun. I was so great because I was like, this is actually a pretty great speech. <laughs> like what a great, I love that. He's literally like, he's literally like drinking out of a <laughs> flask too. Like we've never seen this character drink or anything, but as soon as he's like, I'm broken. The system's broken. <laughs> Who cares? I'm going to take a drink. Yeah. Oh my God. It's actually really great. I think the whole thing with that, like I think the way that this stuff is portrayed in this movie is like more sophisticated than like any Tom Clancy movie that ever existed. Like, yeah. Be- well, because yeah. It, or like any like thing you think about as being like a quote unquote political thriller, you know, because I think this movie just, um, 
there's always like a bad person or some kind of evil plot. Whereas in this movie, they just portray it as like, oh yeah, we used to not like that guy. Now we like him. I don't know. He's maybe going to run for president or something. I don't know. But like, we can't mess with him anymore. So we're going to do something else, which is like kind of the most normal bureaucratic thing in the world. And that is how this shit works. But, you know, in the world of this movie, it's Larry Fishburne going like, what are you talking about? No, you know. I think one of the great differences between a Tom Clancy movie, I've never read a Tom Clancy book, so I can't say whether or not this is true I of this book. I don't think I have either. John Grisham book. But in, read, but. but in terms of the movies, near the end of the movie, when the Carver, the DEA agent, is trying to get like it's the tail end of the movie. It just, as he's trying to get Lawrence Fishburne to say what he wants him to say while he's testifying to Congress. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he, and Lawrence Fishburne's like, what if I don't do it? And he goes, well then how about this? And he brings in Lawrence Fishburne's yes. girlfriend basically to say like, we'll arrest her or we'll do something. But in any other movie, especially a Tom Clancy movie, goons would bring the girl the woman in right like muscle bound goons would carry her in she is brought in by two secretaries <laughs> like these two extremely bureaucratic secretarial looking w- women who like walk her in and walk her off which is like so much smarter and one is black and one is white right yeah. and even the congressman at the end the congressman at the end that is trying to shut down Lawrence Fishburne's testimony because he's actually brought evidence that a dip, someone who has diplomatic immunity and is a diplomat this is, outrageous. is dealing drugs is a is 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 a, is a black guy so the movie i think one of the the another great element of the movie is that it is not afraid of discussing how individuals like without having to say it out loud individuals uh like black individuals minority individuals can become a part of the system as well i mean especially considering that's what lawrence fishburne becomes a part of he just ends up rebelling against it and i mean just that scene with the in the congressional hearing you're talking about it's so interesting how like this is when I, it, 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 there, you're not seeing like a conspiracy or anything, but you're just seeing a bunch of people who know their livelihoods are tied up in somebody who they don't want to have be mad at them. And so they, of their own volition, are being like, hey, stop this. What are you doing? Like, hey, no, we can't talk about this, you know, which I, I again, I, I think, think is you, so you, well done, you know. You brought up The Departed, and uh, I think like one of the like big differences between this and The Departed is that. Um, the departed is like, I think, you know, in terms of direction is like far more showy and complex and, 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 and brilliant, uh, because it's Martin Scorsese, but the departed really has nothing thematically on this film. Yeah. Like this film is a much more complex, rich study of why and how, and how someone could go to deep undercover and what they could learn in 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 doing that, um, that you could be a that you could be a good person who is being forced to do things you don't want to do and think are bad in order to theoretically catch bad people, but they never actually have you arrest anybody. You know? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, you know in, in the Departed, it's like it's all fun and games, it's all a show, but in Deep Cover they're at the they're having like a large they're trying to have a larger conversation about 
the drug well, war. And, like this is a movie about the drug war. This, in, a, in a movie like The Departed or like the Hong Kong movies that are like it's it's pulling from, it's like the thing is personal. It it the way that they make these connections is that you're seeing like you know there's a a person on the inside of the drug trade that the cop strongly identifies with and thinks to be a good person and wants to protect and that's how you get the conflict between the systems but in this movie it's like that it doesn't exist and in fact larry like hates most of the crooks that he interacts with um it's really about like within himself and within you know his reaction to the things that he's being made to do and the people that are making him do it and him trying to reason through it and so i think it's a lot more effective because it's not just like those other movies kind of abstract it to the level of a, a romance or a, you know, a, a bromance. Whereas this is like a lot more, and, and a big part of this is coming from the narration, right? Which we haven't talked about this extremely like, you know, voiceover can be so bad in a, in a film. And it, and this is one of the instances where it works so well and it's so intelligent and poetic and like well-performed by Lawrence Fishburne. Every time the narration came on, I was surprised at how effective it was. <laughs> did you think so oh i agree did you think no so? no 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 i i i, to- I totally agree sorry i wasn't sure i didn't no, know that I, you were I done did. So. I, yeah, I just had to cough but you i was also coughed. done uh, i was done and i had to cough yeah i think the narration is in- incredibly effective i would say that the narr- narration becomes a l- slightly less effective near the end as it becomes more about saying what's happening right, yeah sure like on screen versus like a uh a novelistic interpretation of what's happening. Um, but I, I also want to talk about how the movie doesn't shy away from politically incorrect conversations about race mm-hmm. throughout the film. Um, there's like an incredible moment where Lawrence Fishburne shows up to a hotel room where Jeff Goldblum has just finished having sex with his black mistress. And uh, as he's as as Goldblum's on his way out, he says he says, "God, why do I love bawling black women so much?" And Fishburne says, "Maybe it's because you like fucking a slave, or like you like feeling like you're fucking a slave." And he goes, "What is that like a bondage thing?" And Fishburne goes, "No, like a racist thing." <laughs> <laughs> great, great conversation. And Goldblum just kind of goes like, "Huh." Yeah. It is one of these movies like we're talking. It isn't like white men can't jump in the like racially aware category. It's not like the main thing about what's going on, but it is also racially aware. And like you're saying, there's this tension about Lawrence Fishburne and like, you know, his people and his community and how is he dealing with them? And like very obviously and self-consciously like Jeff Goldblum, who is also we have to talk, I haven't talked about. Actually, I would like to rewind it and say one of my one of the best things in the very early part of this movie is a performance by um, Roger Governor Smith. Is that oh he's fantastic? So good yeah, in this movie he's playing this character Eddie, who's like the first small-time drug dealer that Lawrence Fishburne has to get close to. And he's always like wearing a suit. He's got a little pencil mustache. He's of course plays uh, Smiley and Do the Right Thing, which is a very different yeah. performance. Malcolm. And in this movie, he's like this kind of fay murdering drug dealer who's very nervous all the time. There, he has a great scene where he's he where he first meets Lawrence Fishburne at the bar, and he's just chit chatting to him, like saying a bunch of like really dumb idiotic shit. And at the at his last thing he does before he like sashays off the screen is he goes, "Stay black," and then like, oh yeah, so good. Like the delivery on that is amazing. I mean, what about this yeah. scene? What about the scene where Fishburne goes to the crack house? 
where he's smoking crack with a white woman and yes. yelling oh at her God. for like hitting his crack pipe too hard. And he's got this like, and when he, when he hits her and takes the crack pipe away from her, he looks like, like sad, but like also violent, you know, he looks, it, it's such a weird, but he's so like, he's so off and weird. But then he says, what's wrong with my Nubian queen about this white woman. And before that, when he smacks her for, for, and he pulls the crack pipe away from her, he says, stop slurping. This ain't seven 11. That's right. <laughs> yes. So good, and again, the way he delivers this line—I mean, he is—he is eating, like he is eating in this movie. I, you know, I think like one thing that we should learn from having done this podcast now for a year or two is that um, what makes movies often stand the test of time is chewing yes. the fucking scenery. And everybody like, chewing the scenery. Everybody should be chewing the scenery. Go for it, like because in twenty years, when people watch this movie it's important that they go, whoa, what is that person doing right now? <laughs> You're like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> Nicolas Cage's entire career at this point is based off of movies where you go, whoa, what is he doing? This is insane. You're like, wait, there's a guy with who wears a leather page boy cap all the time? <laughs> like, that's one of the characters in this movie? But it's a white guy? <laughs> yeah. From the way this movie has so many characters and stages, it, it almost feels in your memory like it's a two and a half hour movie. It's it's a hundred minutes, dude. The movie just fucking goes. But it also feels like it takes its time a lot of times, which I thought was like Oh, there's because there's so much information in the movie. You can you can kind of it's not that you'd get lost in the plot, but it doesn't feel short on on character development and information at all no, i would yeah. say and also on like little loose moments that you wouldn't normally get in other movies yeah and in there's stuff that's tough like there's this whole subplot where Lawrence fishburne is at the beginning of his criminal career he's like living across the hallway from this woman who's like obviously like a crackhead and her son who's like Again, it's one of these situations where the woman is a crackhead and lives in the slum and the kid seems like he got off the school bus at the wrong stop. There's a scene where she is ranting at him and kind of trying to wheedle money out of him and also acting like she's a crackhead or something like sniffing and scratching her arm. Like that stuff is hard to do, you know, because it, it can be so cliched so easily. But I thought the right. She tries to sell her. She tries to sell her kid she to tries him. To sell her kid to him. Yeah. Yeah. For $3,000. Okay. $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought she did a good okay, job. Okay. And I thought the writing, it was interesting because it had that ring of truth where like, it's like somebody's telling you a story that like, it it could be 100% true. And they are honestly a victim of the system that's trying to grind down poor people. But it's like something in the way they're telling you it, like, you just feel like you're being lied to and like something weird is going on. They're not telling you about and you just, he just keeps going like, okay, okay, all right, come on, leave me alone, leave me alone. Which is, I thought it was like really well recreated. Like, yeah, that's a real thing where you're fully aware of a system that is holding someone down, but you're also feeling like there's a lot of lies and there's a lot of manipulation taking place. Yeah. But then you also realize that those lies and manipulation are a survival tactic for this person. Right. And at the end of the you know, day, it's like, like no one likes being lied to, but like it's like really a moment where you have to check yourself and be like, don't take this personally. Yeah. This is like not about you. Yeah. And it, which is, I can't do. It's why I didn't go into social work. <laughs> um, let's just maybe before we move on to the questions, like the other big performance you have to talk about is like Jeff Goldblum in this movie, right? 
incredible. incredible very interesting giving for jeff goldblum an understated realistic performance as a kimono wearing lawyer drug kingpin i wouldn't call it an understated realistic performance i would say that like this movie tells Lawrence fishburne like you're gonna ground the movie and then tells everybody yeah, around fair. him like chew it up go for it you know like Goldblum, the guy that plays the DEA agent, the guy that like Roger Gunavir Smith. Uh, oh, everybody's re- the guy that plays Felix Barbosa. Clarence They're Williams, all, the third, really going who, for the him. guy who is maybe Clarence. you know from Half Baked as um the like big drug dealer Samson. Yeah, yeah fantastic in this movie in, as a drug as a uh, like a regular beat cop. You know the real heart and soul of the movie. Yeah, whose uh, partner Hernandez is corrupt. And has another scene where Felix Barbosa, who's an informant to him, he comes up, he goes, hey, look, we need a bus, preferably like a black guy and like a Hispanic guy or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, we need we need to give them some meat to chew on. He basically says, like, we need to give them some racist propaganda like to literally chew on. basically does say that. Like, oh, you know, these people. No, yeah, he, he literally, literally does, <laughs> yeah, he say, does yeah, we need to give them some racist propaganda. Like, give me a black drug dealer to arrest. And so, and so Barbosa, who's trying to uh, limit what he sees as upcoming competition, is like, "Here's Fishburne, and here's a Jew, Jeff Goldblum. You can take them." Yeah, and but and which is not what he wants at all. He's like, "No, what are you talking about? No, I don't want those people." And he's like, "Oh, come on, a lawyer, corrupt lawyer, bringing him to justice." Right. He sells him on yeah. it, and then, but then uh, Clarence Williams the third tries to stop him from shooting them because he's just going to shoot them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the only moral person in the film is Clarence Williams III, who's a devoutly religious detective he, at one point, who's referred to as the at reverend. At one point, leaves a prayer book on the table and says, I get a lot of pleasure from that. <laughs> like, I get a lot of joy from that something. Like, wow, damn. Uh, and it is so, There, the movie does something. But he dies. He dies. It does something really interesting, I think, at the end that you don't often see in a movie, which is... Um, there's this big scene with the big drug dealers and him, the lone cop, comes charging in. But the way they treat him is just like he's a pathetic old man. And they just like walk away from him and like leave his gun there. And then the, that scene escalates from there. Okay, it does go crazy. But I thought just that little bit of that was so interesting and so well done. And so, again, it seemed to ring true to me. Because like, what power does this man have? Like, he's just like, you know... When that scene happens, usually then the cop ends up being a Superman and murdering everybody in the room. But in this movie, they just like pat him on the head and leave, you know? Well, he calls for backup and they basically say no. <laughs> yeah. Like he has diplomatic, he has diplomatic plates. Don't fucking do anything. And he's like, I know I'm going to go in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he runs in and he's like, freeze. Well, you're under arrest. And the the diplomat is like, Hey, officer, what do you mean <laughs> under arrest? They were like on a rusty ship at the dock. And he goes, we were just on our way to dinner. <laughs> yeah. And then he, go, he goes, he goes, money. What do you mean money? I keep my money in a bank. Where do you keep <laughs> your money? And they all go, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> the scene before that, though, where Goldblum says to him, he tries to sell him uh, the synthetic cocaine that like he has developed with like a, meth or uh, something or crack or you know yeah it's some yeah exactly Adderall. He's, he, it's somewhere he, in there i think it's basically Adderall. Yeah. yeah he's he's developed this synthetic cocaine that he wants to sell on his own but he's willing to give 
at this point, he's now willing to sell to uh, Latin American, the, the Latin American cartel. Uh, but they say to him, white, you, you white people are, or you Americans are always trying to cut us Latins out of it. And Goldblum says, Latin, black, <laughs> Jewish. There's no such thing as any of that anymore. There's only rich people and poor people. And we're rich. So there shouldn't be a problem here. <laughs> I fucking loved that. And I mean, I I do view the world that way. And I thought it was very smart. <laughs> I thought it was really great. Yes. That's how the world works, the you know? It's the network monologue, you know? It's 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 Warren Beatty's net monologue and network, right? There are, there are no countries. There are right, no only people. Only corporations just, and rich people, only, you know? Yeah. yeah. Who fucking cares about any of that? Like, I don't, as an American, hate you as a Latin American. It's like, let's just all make money together until such time as I will kill you because I want more money than you. Also, I would just like to say this is a movie where Jeff Goldblum says sincerely Audi 5000. And as he's exiting a room, as he's exiting, in fact, a courtroom, he says Audi 5000, uh, which is amazing. Apparently, a lot of the dialogue between Goldblum and Fishburne uh, was improvised. Like they were encouraged to improvise. Feels like that 100%. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue feels. I mean, I was thinking that too about the. the guy Eddie that we were talking about before, a lot of that felt improvised to me because it just felt so in keeping with what he was doing on screen, you know, that it just seemed to come from the character. Um, Do you want to move on to these questions, Ricky? Yeah, let's do the fucking questions. Right at the top. What this is real easy. What's your favorite part? I'll go first. I have to say one of the really interesting pieces of trivia about this movie is that the end credit song, which at the time was called deep cover is Dr. Dre's first solo single post NWA and it's Snoop Dogg's first ever appearance on a recorded single. And it's the song you will not know as deep cover, but it as one eight seven where Snoop Dogg in the chorus is just going like, cause it's one eight seven on an undercover cop. If you've ever wondered why he, in this song with special emphasis, Dr. Dre says, cause I'm going deep cover. It's it's because it's from the movie Deep Cover, and that was the title of the the song at the time, you know? So your favorite part is the song? Well, I mean, I wanted to bring that up. I really like that a lot. <laughs> I didn't get to it before. Um, if we're talking, like, sincerely, my favorite thing associated with this movie, I probably consumed the song 187, like, a million more times than I will ever see this movie. Um, but I also, here's one like little dumb tricky thing about this movie. I really liked there's one really showy wipe in the movie, which is a lot of fun. It's where a pedestrian walks across the screen from left to right. And he is wiping the screen and the audio has already changed before all of the uh, visuals change. And it's like, you're revealed into the scene by this pedestrian walking across the screen. And I was just like, this is so over the top. It's so unnecessary. It's not done like something like this is not done anywhere else in this movie, but it's like a lot of fun. And I really thought it, I really, really enjoyed it. There's also like in the beginning of the film when they, uh, like right when Fishburne's about to go undercover, they cut to this sort of like Dutch angle pan over the Hollywood oh, sign. Oh yeah. Which is, which it's is really cool. Flying Like it looks like it's underneath you. Like it's on the ground, you know? Um, I think that my favorite part, uh, even and I and I feel bad not having a different one than something that I've already said, but I really love the moment that Carver kind of comes clean and is like, "All of this is bullshit. Yeah. None of it matters." Like, uh, 
I, I feel like not to not to make it personal, but I feel like um like and I was thinking about this today after having watched this, but like 2016 came right and like Trump was elected and we were all kind of like this is insane like I can't believe this is happening uh, he's a monster and he's a beast he's a he's a terrible human being he's, a, he's are you a about to shit. defend Donald Trump I'm really excited if that's what's about to happen no not not at all but I, I but I think that like you know Biden has just expanded the sales of federal land for drilling no. right Biden is doing is 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 like is doing is like cutting social Increasing services all over the place. Gas exports at this moment yeah. in history, like, are you fucking kidding me? So, and like and like and so many of the people who were criticizing Donald Trump for that are not criticizing Joe Biden for that, yeah. right? They're they're going so far as at times to be like, well, Biden has to do this because of this, this, or that, right? You know, and so I mean that was like when it came there, out that like the kids in cages stuff actually started during Obama. <laughs> yeah, and that like so there's this feeling of kind of like a real feeling at this point of like oh, so nothing matters, like yeah, nothing right. fucking matters to these people. It's just a show. It's all just like, like it's just a show at the this engine point. Humming on human civilization, you know what I mean, and keeping themselves enriched and keeping themselves in power, and the rest of it to other people they don't really care and frankly they think that yeah. you're crazy that you haven't murdered enough people to get into power yet you know and it yeah and so there's just this kind of feeling of like i think that it really are his carver's position and nihilism like really articulates the only sort of place that you can be in this in this system where you are like geared for success yeah like even if yeah. you are masking yourself with uh nobility or morals at the end of the day you are neglecting or 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 willfully uh lying to yourself about the reality of a uh, of a of a system and i feel like for some reason that felt very that felt proven to me in the last, like, you know, following the, um, the election of Biden, not that I had high hopes for Joe Biden, yeah, but I mean, like I that. know you like, you know, the phrase, the, the old phrase used to be like, what was the phrase that, I don't know if it was like Churchill or someone said it, but it's like, when you're young, you're a liberal. If, when, if you're, if you're, if you, when you're, if, if, you're, if, if you're, you're, if you're, if you're not a liberal, if you're not a liberal, when you're young, you're, you don't have a heart. And if you're not a conservative, when you're old, you don't have a brain. And I feel like that has sort of changed and should change to like, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. If you're not a nihilist when you're <laughs> old, you're not like, you're not paying yeah, attention. Right. No, I agree. And I mean, I think that like, this is the dominant mode of everything right now. And I think that's why this movie plays so well is that if you look around at the people who are successful today in America, like this, this is the only mode you can be in, which is like this completely nihilist, like end times, thing that's just like i don't care about you know i don't have any ideas of my own dignity or like the dignity of art or or the importance of government or something it's just like everything is ending and i need to get as much as i possibly can right now and i will say or do anything to get it right now and i think that's every every sector of society that's what's happening right now 
the name of the largely bullshit app that is bringing financial trading to like the localized individual investor with very little fucking money is called Robinhood. <laughs> right? Like that's just sort of the times that we're living in, right? So nothing means anything. It's all bullshit and get what you can and go for it. And like Carver saying that, and I'm not saying that's who I am, whatever, <laughs> but like Carver articulating that in that moment to someone who has just like played the game of the system for what he thought was a greater good feels, uh, I think maybe forever prescient. Yeah. Um, so Ricky, what do you think the most nineties part of this movie was? I actually thought this question was hard too. I didn't really know. I do too. Just saying like dumb casting things like Larry Fishburne being the like young, cool lead of the movie. Right, because stylistically, it's kind of timeless. And it is, like you said, it, right? it's one of these 90s noirs. It's like very, I mean, self-consciously like saxophone solos over the opening, you know, credits kind of stuff. Neon neon yeah. lights, like super harsh colors. I love the cinematography oh God, in this movie. The lighting is insane. There's a scene right where um, when Eddie tries to give up Lawrence Fishburne to get arrested and they pull up in front of this taco stand that's got this amazing mm-hmm. neon and they're in this beautiful like, you know, Cadillac with the top down and it's like completely pitch black around them. I was like, this fucking shot is great. I mean, again, talk about eating. Like this is like eating. This is just a beautiful shot to have a beautiful shot, you know? Yeah, there's a real sense in this movie of like everybody go for yeah, it. Right. DP, go for it. Actors, show me Lighting what you guys, got. Guys, go for you it. Know? Like there's a scene when he first meets the, or when he, the second time he comes back and meets his, who eventually his girlfriend, their money laundering accountant. They're just in this like amazing blue light, which doesn't really have an explanation diegetically. It's just like supposed to be like mm-hmm. the front of the building has a blue light, you know? But it's just like, it's, and it's, it's awesome. It's great. It looks great. It's so much fun to look at, you know? Make everything like that. Because I think the, I think the politics of the movie are fairly ahead of its time. I so because I think and I you had said that some reviews were 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 catching up, but I read some reviews and it was like when Ricochet came out and everyone was like, It's a very well handled stylistic noir and like the acting is pitch perfect and everybody is just and it's like they're nice reviews, but it's you're kinda like I cannot believe nobody is talking about what yeah. this movie is expressly I mean, this about. This is on the Wikipedia, so it's not like I did a bunch of research, but it's it's the Chicago Reader review. It says it has rare political lucidity, which I was like, yeah, right. I totally agree with that. I mean, look, like, Clear and Present Danger came out, like, what, like, the year before this movie. It's not like we're in some, like, more enlightened time or something. Like, this is pretty an, an, a pretty unusually sophisticated view of the way international politics work uh i mean roger ebert uh, at least in the wikipedia gave the film three and a half stars out of four praised the voiceover narration as poetic and colorful that's part of the process elevating the story from the mundane to the mythic janet maslin quietly commanding larry fishburne and the wiry jeff goldblum make an interestingly offbeat team i mean that's like peter travers thinks she's looking at lethal weapon you know what i mean like yeah Peter Trevor's Duke makes the perks of the drug lifestyle palpably seductive, but this time there's something new in the snort screw slay formula. What? Come the fuck snort on. screw slay formula? Is that what you really think? A working conscience. Fucking... I mean, this is like a movie reviewer who was like getting paid a lot of money and seeing like 
four movies a day and just like churning yeah. these out, like writing like 200 word reviews, like once every 45 minutes, you know? Oddly, Owen Gleiberman gets it and, and says, the movie peels away every layer of hope, revealing a red hot core of nihilistic despair. Fishburne with his hair trigger line readings and deadly reptilian gaze conveys the controlled desperation of someone watching his own faith unravel and Goldblum reveals a new dimension of comic rottishness, but he only gave the film a B minus. Pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. There's a scene talking about his gaze. There's a scene like early in the movie when I think it's when he's having a, like an early confrontation with that other drug dealer that he ends up killing eventually. Um, there's a shot where like it's a crowd shot and there's a couple of people behind him who are making like, Oh my God faces and like looking off in crazy directions. And the light is just hitting Lawrence Fishburne right in his eyes. And he's looking dead center, like straight at the camera, which is where the gun is pointing. And it's just like, yeah, that's it, dude. This is, he's so focused and he's so fucking like, yeah. Deadly reptilian gaze is like a pretty good way to put it. I mean, I wouldn't call him reptilian, it's just like cold, detached focus on his job, you know, for part of the movie. That that we didn't talk about, which I, I guess I'll just say is another favorite part of mine. I don't know if it is, but just because we haven't talked about it, now we're into the questions, which is the rival drug dealer is always uh, quoting Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh Have you seen that movie? You could rent it at your local video yeah. store. He says that, yeah, he goes, the first time he goes, hasta la vista, baby and shoots a kid of what we find out is a 13 year old kid. And then the next scene he says, I'll be back. Do you know that movie? <laughs> you can rent it at your local video store for three 99. <laughs> and I will, I mean, talk um, about inflation proof. That is how much I paid to rent this movie. So like, that's actually pretty good. So I think that, uh, um, you know, in, in terms of what, uh, what's very nineties about this movie, probably the, the, the hip hop score, yeah that is used is specifically like new Jack sounds like new Jack, a little bit of new Jack swing. And then, um, and then, and then Dre comes in at the end, you know, with his first solo track, which is going to be very much the nineties. Yeah. Um, and oh, then, like, what did we uh, outgrow? I mean, again, it's hard, you know, I mean, you can say like an intelligent movie like this, uh, an intelligent genre movie like this. I don't know. It's like every genre movie now thinks it is cynical and smart in the, in the way that this movie is, but it's not, it's not doing yeah. it right. It, it's doing it in this way where it's doing an impression of somebody else who did it. It's not, it doesn't seem like they're thinking, you know, whereas this movie seems like it's mm-hmm. the result of some real thought by an intelligent person who then made a very entertaining genre movie yeah, I, I I totally agree. Sorry, I was thinking about um, the movie that uh, I'm I'm potentially making and whether or not it is the <laughs> it is what you said is the bad version or is the good version. <laughs> <of it." laughs> I immediately started being like, "Fuck!" Is he describing? Um, because this was actually uh, Carver was like a big inspiration on one of the characters. Oh, really? In in the in the screen. Yeah, we would refer we would talk about Carver's speeches like uh, nihilistic speeches at the end of the movie it's a lot. so good. I just really, really love the way they, they portray that character because there's something like he's evil, right? Okay. But also like he just kind of, he doesn't seem like he means it. He doesn't particularly want to screw anybody over or do anything bad to anybody. It, what's I mean, what's evil about him is the way he just doesn't care about all the people he's hurting and killing. 
So the other question is, what have we grown out of? I would say the gratuitous. It's not even that gratuitous, but I would say like the sex scene for no reason. Um, I I know there's like a big argument for like there needs to be more sex scenes in movies, and I I think there needs to be more good movies about sex that involve sex and portray it. But the sex scene in this movie is the exact kind of sex scene that like I think people kind of were like kind of course correcting away from by means of like. Yeah, yeah, throw a sex scene in the middle of the movie. Like, you know, we got to show her tits, got to make some she money. She literally here. goes, I've got something to show you. And then the cut to her taking her shirt off. <laughs> right. It cuts to like a pretty pretty run-of-the-mill 90s uh, sex scene, both in the way that it's shot and the music. It's it's fairly soft core. I mean, you can't understand that like this was not necessary to the film. You know, this is not telling no. you anything you couldn't have learned in some other way. This, like, it's just... a. It's just you wanted to see her tits, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that I could really say that this movie's grown out of. Everything else fucking rocks. The politics are prescient, and they, they stand, the, stand the test of time. The performances stand the test of time. The cinematography, the direction. This movie's sick. It's movie's great. sick as fuck, and I'm so glad that I saw it. It's a total stone-cold classic. Like, yeah, like you said, amazing scene-chewing performances. It's a fantastic movie. Love talking about it with you, Ricky. Um, that's the show for this week. Tune in in two weeks. We're going to be back with a movie as yet undecided on, but I'm actually going to send you a list like sooner rather than later. So we can try to book a guest and get it all figured out. And it'll Great. Good. Talk to you later. Peace out, dog. Force. Because I wanted to be of some use, because I wanted to make a difference somehow. That's Larry Fishburne, the father in Boys in the Hood, playing an undercover cop assigned to infiltrate drug dealers in deep cover. Despite solid performances, I actually found deep cover to be kind of boring. Gene, the boat really left without you on this one. This is one of the most terrific movies of the year.